as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey. That's hockey, baby. Thank you for joining me every Sunday morning at 11 here on 88.7 FM WLUW. Got an hour uninterrupted of your favorite small town kid. Go to the Loyola Phoenix, Nick Schultz. I know Sister Jean pretty well. I think he's the sports editor there. He is. Right? He's a sports he's editor. Yeah. Sports good, columnist, sports writer. And, uh, and there's a, there's... I'd be lying if I said I wasn't watching baseball in class. Nick Schultz, who is a, a rising star in the profession. Our guy, Nick Schultz, covers... Loyola for the student newspaper there, the Loyola Phoenix. I have to keep pinching myself and asking <laughs> if this is real. I cannot believe this is happening. I'm a poor, starving college student, so I would say I was physically here, but I wouldn't say I was mentally here. I do have to say, it is refreshing to be talking hockey and being excited about talking hockey. And that's why, as Chance the Rapper said on Saturday Night Live in my open, let's do that hockey, because there's a lot to talk about. Welcome into the Sunday Sports Shootout here on 88.7 FM, WOUW, Chicago Sound Alliance. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Great to be back with you for another week. we got a little bit of a late start. Radio's Golden Hour ran a little bit over today, but I'm here for you for the next 55 minutes. And because of my late start, I'm going to set up my guest a little bit, probably in the next couple minutes. I'll introduce that. I promised 11.05, but we're going to probably be closer to 11.07, 11.08. But as I talked about, a lot to get to today. It is a heavy show today because we got the Blackhawks in the playoffs, which I didn't think I'd be talking about this year. 3-1 series win over the Edmonton Oilers. Next up is the Vegas Golden Knights, and I have some thoughts of my own. But I also have an interview I will play with Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times. He's a friend of mine, and I'm glad he took the time yesterday to talk over Zoom. And I'll be playing that shortly to get his thoughts on the Oilers series and what's next against Vegas. Also, some baseball news. Cubs-Cardinals this weekend was postponed, I believe is the word I saw. I don't know when it will be postponed until. No baseball this weekend for the Cubs and the Cardinals after some positive tests from the Cardinals. The White Sox will be on Sunday Night Baseball tonight because of that. And I've also got some thoughts on their injury situation and how they can come back with a little bit of adversity they've encountered earlier in the year. And I also have to talk about the Bulls because, naturally, they made me mad again this week. So I have to talk about that. There was a report in the Sun-Times from Joe Cowley about Jim Boylan's future with the Bulls. And trust me, if you've been listening to the show long enough, you know I inevitably have a lot of thoughts on Jim Boylan's future with the Bulls, and I will get to all that in the second half hour here. But I do want to get to my interview with Ben Pope. He and I talked for about 20 minutes yesterday over Zoom. It was a great interview. I'm really glad Ben could take the time with the crazy schedule with the playoffs. He's a Northwestern guy, and he's doing great work at the Sun-Times. Follow him on Twitter at CST. And without further ado, here is my interview with Ben. 
It's a Sunday sports shootout here on WOUW 88.7 FM. I'm Nick Schultz, and I'm thrilled to welcome in my guest for this week, Ben Pope of the Chicago Sun-Times, and he's a Northwestern guy. But I guess I can let a Northwestern guy on the show, even though I'm a Loyola guy, and we're the Loyola station. And I'm thrilled to welcome Ben in. Ben, how's it going, my friend? I'm doing well. Busy time for uh, the Blackhawks and for me, so happy to come on. Did you ever think we'd be talking about the Blackhawks in the playoffs? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird. I, I did not think that was going to happen. There was a few times there where it looked like they might make a run sort of in the winter, but then uh, they were out of it and then seemed like we weren't going to have hockey at all. So just a pretty crazy turn of events here to uh, take us to this place, but I certainly appreciate it. And it's got to be keeping you on your toes, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. It's... Uh, Definitely uh, last night just being on deadline again was was weird. I think my fingers are a little out of practice. They need they need their own training camp for typing. So yeah, it's 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 been on my toes for sure. Yeah, been there, been there, done that for sure. But before we talk about on the ice, I do want to just I just thought about this as I was putting my questions together. This is your first year on the beat, and you got the first full season for Jeremy Colton as head coach. The regular season was a roller coaster. You had a pandemic in the middle. John McDonough got fired during the break, and now the Hawks are in the first round of the playoffs. Has that set in for you yet? Have you had time to think about all that? You know, I I don't think I'd really thought about how eventful it's been until uh, you you talked about it just now. I mean, it's it certainly struck me how odd it is that uh, coronavirus happened in the middle of my first year. That that part has definitely sunk, sunk in, but. Uh, it has been an eventful season even other than that. So, yeah, I, I know when uh, I was hired, it was kind of meant to be fitting with uh, the Blackhawks going through a bit of a reorganization, uh, sort of changing generations that uh, that would work out well. But, uh, yeah, it has been, it's been very eventful for sure. And you're the young guy in the press box, right, I'm assuming? Yes, yeah, definitely the youngest. Charlie Romeliotis from NBC Sports Chicago. Yeah, Charlie. Uh, I th- yeah, I think you know him. Uh, he's uh, late twenties, I think. He's not too much older than me, but uh, everyone else is is decades older. So, yeah, there are definitely some jokes about that. Has it even been a full year? It's been a full year. I was hired in uh, May okay. of nineteen. Yeah. Okay, I lose track of everything, especially with COVID and everything going on, because time stands still. I feel like we're in a time warp. That's <laughs> true. I still think it's springtime sometimes. Yeah. I do too, especially this weekend when I was wearing jeans to the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And now we'll get to the Blackhawks on the ice. There's a lot to talk about there because I didn't think they were going to come close to winning that series. And here they are 3-1. Now they're facing the Vegas Golden Knights in the first round of the playoffs. On my radio show, I said I didn't think they had a chance. I didn't think there was any chance of them winning a game. And here they are winning. What got into them? do you think? Well, I think part of it is just that hockey is a very weird sport and everything can happen and there's a lot of luck and a lot of variation and you just never really know what's going to happen. I certainly did not think that they were uh, the favorites or that they would have the odds in their favor going into that Oilers series either. Um, but uh, I think it, I mean, Corey Crawford coming back helped a lot. He, he played really well in last night's game to help them advance. Uh, and then just the young guys and the old guys played well and sort of came together and figured out how to win together. I thought Taves was fantastic. 
throughout the series. Duncan Keith had a, a really good impact uh, next to Adam Boquist. And then guys like Doc and Kubalik uh, were really strong as well. So the whole team just kind of came together at the right time. What uh, something that uh, Kyle didn't have been preaching all season and that we hadn't really seen come to fruition uh, until now. So it just, uh, they pulled it off at the right time. And I know this is a scorching hot take. I'm sure you've never heard this one before. The PK makes me really nervous. How did they pull that off with the PK unit being as scary as it is? Well, I don't know, even know if the PK played that well. I mean, the Oilers certainly <laughs> have an excellent power play, and it seemed like they, at least the first three games, sort of lived up to the billing. They were very dangerous in the power play. And even last night, uh, the, the second goal was just a few seconds after a power play expired. So we, we came into the series thinking that so much would ride on the Hawks' PK being able to shut down the Oilers' power play or at least limit them. And they didn't really shut them down or, or limit them that much. And yet the Hawks were still able to win. So kind of an odd twist there. And I also saw the comparisons to March Madness, a 12 seed beating a 5 seed. Did, did I see both 12 seeds won? Yeah, both 12 seeds won. Uh, the Canadians beat the Penguins. And I guess that is a pretty popular upset pick in uh, March Madness. So uh, hockey really leaning into that uh, since we didn't actually get March Madness this year. This can be our, our fill-in for that. I'll take it. It still doesn't fill the March Madness void because you know how much I love college basketball. But I'll, t I'll take it, though. I like a little excitement and playoff hockey's great. But back to the Hawks, you brought up Corey Crawford. Wow. He, he blew me away. And I, I have a little more on Robin Leonard I'm going to ask you about. But when they traded Robin Leonard, I wasn't real happy about that. So I'm seeing Crow step up. Did you think he was as good as, like, uh, Meathead fans thought he was? You know, Crawford actually had a great season. It gets kind of overlooked because of how popular and successful Leonard was before the trade. But uh, you go look at the metrics, and Crawford was a top 12 or so goalie in the league in pretty much every category and, and had one of his better seasons uh, just on a team that, that wasn't doing very well in front of him. So it was kind of overlooked uh, and also with a smaller workload because he was sharing that number one job for most of the year. But, you know, he had a great season and uh, I know that he doesn't skate much in the offseason, even in normal summers. He he only shows up for training camp one day before uh, it starts normally. He just doesn't like to work out much in the offseason. So if there's anyone who could have overcome getting COVID and not being able to skate for months, it's probably Crawford. And he did look rusty the first three games. And clearly he's admitted that he's not feeling 100% yet, but he, he looked like he was back in his true form last night. He, he won that game single-handedly pretty much for the Blackhawks. And it, I wasn't that surprised. I think Crawford is, is still a lot better than some people realize. And, I, I mean, I've always been critical of Crawford. Like, sometimes it's been a little overcritical. But that's just because I'm I, not a big hockey head in a way. Like, I'm, I always joke I'm fluent in baseball, conversational in basketball and football. Hockey, I'm a little – on the edge. So sometimes I, I gave him the blame for the bad defense in front of him, but I, I was really impressed. And you brought up my next question was how he had COVID-19 got over it and performed like he did. Yeah, it's an incredible story just to, I mean, certainly we didn't know he had COVID when he was missing for the first two weeks of training camp. And there was a lot of speculation about that. And then for him to return sort of in the last day and and come out and talk openly about his experiences with that was, was really fascinating to hear firsthand from a pro athlete about how it affects him. And uh, 
Uh, certainly, he didn't have the, the worst case of it out there. He said he had flu symptoms for a few days and then just sort of had to rest for a few weeks and, and quarantine, but didn't have anything too extreme. But uh, yeah, definitely crazy and interesting to hear uh, his experience with that and to see him now performing at this high level just a, a few weeks later. You know, another player who stood out to me, and shout out to my guy Joe today over at NBC Sports Chicago for bringing up playoff legend Matthew Highmore. I don't think I'd heard Matthew Highmore's name more than a couple times in the regular season. And seeing him step up, do you think more of the young guys can follow his lead heading into this next series? Yeah, Highmore's a great story, too. I mean, he's an undrafted guy, played in the AHL for a few years, missed almost all of last season with, uh, I believe, a broken leg, and then uh, comes up, sort of establishes himself uh, in the NHL for the first time this year. Uh, but you're right, doesn't he, doesn't he didn't exactly make a name for himself. He wasn't certainly one of the, the key players. And then to come through with two crucial goals like he has the last two games is a cool story. And, and yeah, it should be a, a model for a lot of the young guys, I think, uh, He's he's a he's a become an important voice in that locker room. He's a he's a really nice, relatable guy and, and hardworking. And uh, to see him rewarded with this kind of success and and this attention is definitely something the whole team uh, appreciates and, and sees as deserved and justified for for one of their you know favorite guys. Now, who could be the next young guy to step up? Because we've heard Highmore in the last series. Who could be the guy in this series? Well, if you're looking for someone. Um, of that level I'm not entirely sure I've kind of thought that Kajula could be a breakout guy but uh, he he wasn't as uh, noticeable in the Oilers series as I thought he's also not that young Um, I think for in general I think we need to see more from Adam Boquist I think he was he struggled a bit against the Oilers Uh, he had a really rough uh, game in game two the one they lost and and just didn't really do a whole lot uh, so I think there'll be more pressure on him going forward to take his step forward, certainly as a 19-year-old defenseman. And the first time in the playoffs, you can't have that high expectations for him. It's, it's a learning process. But uh, as it goes on, it'd be exciting to see him sort of figure out how to play in this setting and, and take a step forward there. You think Kirby Doc picked up a little confidence in this series? I know there were a few times I was sitting there going, just shoot it. He, he was a little passive. Do you think he could be a little more aggressive? Yeah, that was kind of one of his, his struggles all year was he just didn't shoot the puck enough. Uh, he, was, he was always deferential too much to his teammates in terms of passing up opportunities. But uh, he certainly has looked really good, I think, in the this playoffs. He had four assists in the four games in this round, and he was excellent in training camp uh, back in Chicago last month. And he's definitely taken a step forward in what's basically his second year with the team, even though it's still technically his first. And uh, he has a bright future. He's gotten a lot of attention. I think he, he lived up to the hype uh, in that first series. So uh, if he can maybe be a little bit more confident, a little bit more willing to shoot the puck and, and be that guy instead of deferring to his teammates, he can, he can make even more of an impact moving forward. Then last thing before we get to talking about the Vegas Golden Knights, who the Hawks will be playing in the next round. If the Hawks would have lost this series, it had a 12.5% chance of the top pick in the draft. Do you see anything changing now, like without that chance of the top pick now that they're moving on? You know, I never really thought too much of that uh, slim chance at Alexis Lafreniere. I mean, it's, I feel like it was overhyped from the start. Certainly it's crazy that one of the teams that were eliminated in the qualifying round will get him, but teams just 
don't play for first round picks or you ask any player about a draft pick and he will immediately shut you down. They just, it's not something they think about. And 12.5% is, is not that high. And if you don't get that, then you're picking ninth or 10th or something and, and not changing the directory of the franchise really much at all with a guy down there. So I never really thought too much of that opportunity and I don't think anything will really change uh, with them now out of the running for that. And I talked about it last week. I watched the last dance again because I got bored. I figured I'd watch the last dance again. And I got to the episode where they were talking to Michael Jordan. The Bulls wanted him to sit out so they could tank. And he said, no, we need to win. We play to win. And they went to the playoffs. And I found myself kind of rooting for the tank before the game. But once the game started, I went into full playoff hockey mode, like yelling at the TV and everything. So I guess that's kind of the sentiment you're hearing from the players then is just win, win, win. Yeah, that's just always the way it is. And I think it's different across different sports, too. I think the number one overall pick in basketball makes more impact than the number one overall pick in hockey. I mean, you look at Zion and and how different the Pelicans are when he plays versus when he doesn't. There just isn't anyone in hockey that can really do that. The past three number one overall picks, all those teams were yet again in the bottom seven this year that picked the last three number one overall picks. Like, it just doesn't make that much of a difference. And Lafreniere is a great talent and, and probably better than the average number one overall pick, but it's still, you can't really say that he's a Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin type. Like he has the possibility of getting there eventually, but there's so no sure thing. So I just don't think that it's really comparable to basketball where you're pretty much guaranteed of transforming the franchise. If you get that top guy. When you bring up Zionist number one pick brings back bad bulls flashbacks watching that lottery, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on that right, <laughs> right now. I'm going to save that for another time. Talking with Ben Pope of the Sun times here on the Sunday sports shootout, WOUW 88.7 FM. All right. We got to talk about the golden Knights and an old friend, Robin Leonard. How do you see this series going 12 against one? <laughs> well, first we need to find out if Leonard is going to start. Um, it's, Certainly they have Linner in the fold. They also have Marc-Andre Fleury, who has been to five Stanley Cup finals, won three of them, but also had his worst season since 2006 this season. So we'll see who starts. They've been alternating through the round-robin games and goal, and Leonard won the game today. He's 5-0 and in his first five starts with Vegas, three of those back in March, and then two now the past week. Um, so we'll see what happens, but if they do go with Leonard, that's going to be a fascinating storyline seeing he versus Crawford after they kind of indirectly battled for most of the season for the, the Hawks job. Uh, and selfishly, I would love to see it because Leonard is just an amazing quote and extremely honest, interesting guy. So just to be back to interviewing him and then hearing everything he has to say would be uh, really amazing uh, in terms of just, uh, generating attention in that way. But, um, should be an interesting series. Certainly the Hawks will be underdogs yet again. Uh, the Knights are a better team than the Oilers were and, and have a lot of talent across the board. Um, but you never know. Like I said, it's hockey. It's crazy. So uh, who knows what will happen. And it's playoff hockey too, no less. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and talking about Leonard being a good quote, I, when I interned at NBC Sports Chicago in fall semester, it was fall of 2019, I had to listen to the post-game locker room conversations and some of his quotes were great I that was one of the main reasons I wish they kept him he had so many good quotes and he was a great social media presence too yeah no he definitely knows how to work Twitter and he's a fascinating guy to talk to in the locker room uh can be a little intimidating sometimes if he's in one of his bad moods or if he 
he really wants to make a point about something, uh, but he definitely is great. I feel like, (laughs) yeah, that's true. But uh, definitely is a great quote, really interesting guy and has some very passionate, uh, unusual opinions about certain subjects. It's always interesting to hear him talk about compared to a lot of hockey players who who generally try to keep those inside. So a breath of fresh air for sure. Whenever he's in a locker room. Unusual opinions about different subjects. I, then I'm kind of hear that on Twitter when I do my show on Sundays. <laughs> so with the Oilers, their big strength obviously was the power play. Everyone was, I was so worried about that PK. I mean, every time the Oilers had a power play, especially that five minute major on Debrinket that the Hawks got bailed out on. I was sitting on the edge of my seat going, Oh no, 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 no. What is the one thing, the X factor, if you will, that the golden Knights bring to the table? Well, I think the the reason that Vegas is such a good team is because they aren't reliant on any one thing. They don't have a McDavid or Dreisaitl type player. They don't have any superstars like that. Um, they don't have a historically amazing power play like the Oilers do, but they have a lot. They have a strong top six forwards. They have a strong bottom six forwards. They have a strong defense and they have strong goaltending. They're a well-rounded team. They don't have any big weaknesses, even though they also don't have any huge strengths. So. Um, that's going to be the real challenge is there isn't anywhere to attack them. And it's going to be tough because the Hawks don't have the depth that the, the Knights do. They, the Oilers have McDavid and Dreisaitl, but the Hawks have Taves and Kane, and Taves and Kane were kind of able to win that battle. But it's going to be harder to go 12 forwards versus 12 forwards and win that battle against the whole team. So that's going to be the challenge for the Hawks against a, a really well-rounded Knights team. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's your prediction? I mean, you have to pick Vegas at this point. Uh, they're now the number one seed. They won two of the three regular season meetings against the Hawks. They were clearly the better team throughout the season, and they're clearly the better team on paper. So there's no way you can't pick Vegas going into this. But certainly I think the Hawks could win um, just because anything can happen, and they certainly do seem to be improving at the right time. you have an idea of how many games you think it'll go? Well, I don't think it'll be a sweep. Um, I find in general picking games to be kind of a crapshoot, but uh, I'll say six just because that's kind of the middle of the road guess. I respect that. I was going to say five or six. So (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, you're, you're the hockey expert here. Like I said, I I know it very conversationally compared to the other sports. So I think I'm going to stick with you and go with that six though. Uh, Before I let you go, I just got one question about Patrick Kane. Seemed like, it, it wasn't a bad series for him, but I also felt like it kind of was a bad series by his standards. You think he might step up his game in this next series now? Well, I think he's always um, a guy that, that wants to do even better. That's what made him so successful is he's so insatiable with his, his individual and team success. So um, I'm sure that he expects more from himself. I didn't think he was he was bad. I mean, the Hawks offense was producing a lot, even if he wasn't generating enormous point totals himself. But uh, I mean, you never know with Kane, he can erupt at any time and certainly one of the most talented offensive players in the league. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him uh, erupt for a three or four point game uh, here around the corner. I mean, it'd be great from a fan standpoint too, especially because I do have right here, I have my, my grandpa's 2015 Stanley Cup champions hat that I wear a lot. And a lot these days, because I'm so excited about Blackhawks hockey, which I didn't think I'd be excited about Blackhawks hockey at this point, but I am. And I feel like I'm not alone in that regard. 
it's been all over the radio, Blackhawks hockey again. Yeah, it's been really cool to see just how much more um, attention they're getting and, and how Chicago's rallying around this team. It's certainly been a tough time, and we haven't had sports in a while, and baseball is underway, but they're early in their regular season, and, and who knows if they'll even finish it. So uh, having this Hawks run and, and bringing back some of those memories from 2015 and, and beyond has uh, certainly been cool to see, and it's been – I know my, my sort of like totals on Twitter have pretty much tripled from the regular season, so uh, uh, it's, it's definitely neat to see how many fans are coming out of the woodwork and enjoying this run. Well, that's what I told my sister, too, about the game the other night when the Hawks came back and won. It was, I think that was game – it would have been game three. They were down 3-2, 1-4-3. I caught major, like, 2013 vibes with the way – the confidence after that win. Did you kind of sense that on social media? Yeah, it's been amazing. I mean, it's certainly the joke with Twitter and social media is that everyone overreacts immensely to everything. And that's no, probably that happening happen on Twitter at all. No, 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 no. <laughs> That's probably happening again here, but uh, I mean, the team, they looked good. I think the confidence for now at least is is justified, and uh, it's it's certainly neat to remember back to some of those runs and then maybe think that there's a possibility they do it again. So uh, it's been cool to see. And it'd be great for us Chicago sports fans as well to have a deep playoff run. (laughs) It'd be very refreshing after everything. The city has been waiting a while for another one of those. Still got flashbacks of the double doink because that was supposed to be the last big playoff run that wasn't. We're talking with Ben Pope here on WLUW Sunday Sports Shootout. Ben, thanks so much for the time, man, and have fun covering this series. Thank you. I I will, and I look forward to uh, talking with you in the future. That was Ben Pope of the Sun-Times. There was a lot of good stuff in there. If you want to hear the full interview, again, check out the podcast. Probably be up around 1230 today, depending on when I get the show put together and everything. Shouldn't take too long. I want to remind you, you're listening to 88.7 FM WOUW, Chicago Sound Alliance, Sunday Sports Shootout. I'm your host, Nick Schultz. Really great stuff from Ben. And again, he's a fellow young guy, too. We're about the same age, which is very cool. And he's on the, he's on the NHL beat. So good stuff from him. And again, thank you for dealing with the technical errors. Again, the, the joys of working remote is everything's kind of a roll of the dice. And, I mean... The big thing is we're talking playoff hockey, though. I mean, that's what makes this all so much better, is we're talking playoff hockey. And I remember at the beginning of the year, when we were talking Hawks, I said they wouldn't even sniff the playoffs, and here they are, last team in to the NHL restart after the COVID-19 shutdown. And they're in the first round. I don't care if they're facing number one seed. They're in the first round. I'm As I put out on my Twitter, which follow me on Twitter at NickSchultz underscore seven. If you don't, you should follow me. I try to be really funny. And I'm wearing my grandpa's hat that I mentioned, the 2015 Stanley Cup champions hat. And I, I wear it around, but I'm wearing it around with a little more pride now because the Hawks won their first playoff series since winning that Stanley Cup. And it's it's so exciting. Like I, like I talked about, with Ben, they're, they're, both radio stations in town were talking hockey. It was so refreshing. Because, I mean, yeah, hockey's the sport of the big four, baseball, football, basketball, hockey, that I know the least. But I still love it. Like, it, it's exciting. So thanks again to Ben for taking the time, and thank you to you, the listeners, for putting up with the technical difficulties we had there. And I'll have backup plans in place next week so this doesn't happen again. But again, the full thing will be posted Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Look up Sunday Sports Shootout, WLUW. 
Before I move on from hockey, I want to talk a little more about the Robin Leonard, Corey Crawford debate because I've seen people on social media talk about it. I can't believe Crawford has been criticized so much over the years. He's a great goaltender. And, yeah, I've been a little critical. Okay, I've been a lot critical of Corey Crawford. But I give credit where credit's due, and he had a good series. He was... He came out a lot better than I thought he would, especially considering, and you'll hear it in the full interview, Crawford had COVID-19 and came back from it to play that series. It was awesome. I mean, he was he was fully healthy. He was missing for the first couple of weeks of practice because he was still recovering. But the fact that he came back and did that, tip your hat. Whether you like him or not, tip your hat. And like I said before, I've been a little, it was a little unfair criticism on my part because Crow doesn't really have a lot in front of him in terms of defense. It's been a problem the last couple of years, which is weird because during the Stanley Cup runs, his defense was top notch. But I felt like Leonard was able to handle the lack of defense better. And that's why when they traded, when the Hawks traded Leonard, I, I didn't like it because I, I like Robin Leonard better. But you know what? Tip your head to Corey Crawford. He had a great series, and I hope he can continue it. I really do. And you heard the prediction. Ben predicts Vegas in six. I'm probably going to stick by that, maybe five. It depends, but we both agree. We don't think it'll be a sweep because it's the playoffs. It's probably not going to be a sweep. But I think Vegas is the safe pick. Vegas in six, maybe five. I'm going to kind of amend my pick a little bit. That's all the hockey talk I had. I got 35 minutes of Blackhawks hockey talk on Sunday Sports Shootout here. That's awesome. It's so great. because I, It's fun for me because I started getting into hockey in 2009. And I, if you remember what happened in 09, that set up the playoffs in 2010 and the Stanley Cup in 2010. I remember sitting in my living room with my parents my brother and sister went to bed. It was me, my mom, and my dad when Patrick Kane scored that goal to win that first Stanley Cup, and I was hooked right there. Now here we are. That was 10 years ago, if you can believe that. And the Hawks are the talk of the town again because Chicago, when the hockey team is good, is a really fun hockey town. And we've seen the, the transition. over the la- Let's look at the last decade here. 2010, Hawks won the first Stanley Cup. 2013, they won their second, they won their third in 2015. That five years, Chicago was the best hockey town in the nation. 2016, Cubs win the World Series. First time in 108 years. All of a sudden, it's a baseball town. Bears, before the double doink. That season, we were talking Super Bowl. It turned back into a great football town. Now, we're seeing hockey come back a little bit because the Bulls are a joke. Even though the, even though the arrow's pointing up, but they're a joke. More on that in a little bit, I promise. We got two baseball teams that are very, very hype this year. Yeah, a lot, a lot of hype there with Cubs and the Sox. And now you got the Blackhawks in the playoffs. Now you're seeing sports town. You're seeing baseball on both sides of town for a change. You're seeing the Blackhawks. We'll see how the Bears can do. This is going to be a fun couple of years in Chicago sports. And I'm so excited. In case you couldn't tell. <laughs>
let's move on to baseball here because we had some news out of the Cubs Cardinals series because it didn't happen. It was postponed because the Cardinals had more positive COVID-19 tests. And I also got word on from ESPN, I think it was last night, early this morning, Cardinals Pirates has either been canceled or postponed. I think baseball is using postponed for these games because of COVID-19, the protocols and everything. We've seen it. I went on my Marlins rant last week, and if you missed it, check out the podcast. I also talked to Bruce Miles about it from the Daily Herald. He had some good insights on it. But the big thing is I don't know if baseball is going to finish the season, especially now because the Cardinals have 11 games to make up. And here we are. We are in early August. The season is supposed to end at the end of September, I believe. Late September, early October is when the season's supposed to end. What I'm trying to say is there's not a lot of time to make up games. In fact, there are less days left in the season than the amount of games the Cardinals have to make up. And I don't know how they're going to pull this off. Same thing with the Marlins. The Marlins had a bunch of their season wiped out because they had a bunch of COVID-19 positives. And I, I just don't understand how baseball can finish these seasons unless they go by winning percentage. Which, that's very possible. They could go by winning percentage. Is it ideal? No. Because as I look at the standings here, the Marlins have the best record and you're going by winning percentage. At 7-2. Actually, they have the second best record in Major League Baseball behind the Colorado Rockies, who are currently 11-3. Cubs, meanwhile, are 10-3. So Marlins had the second best record. But even so, if you go by winning percentage, it's going to create a lot of issues in baseball. So we'll see what baseball does. I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if the season's going to finish, but it's definitely going to be interesting. Moving on to the White Sox, who were on Sunday Night Baseball tonight. Because the Cubs game got canceled, they were supposed to be on Sunday Night Baseball. So now the White Sox are on ESPN tonight. And that's a good thing, because the White Sox are usually forgotten by ESPN. And Tim Anderson called them out on it in summer camp during the Cubs-Sox game. He said, hey, you guys are finally noticing us. And how often do you see ESPN forget about the 05 White Sox? It happens quite a bit, especially on social media. So they're on Sunday Night Baseball tonight for the first time since 2013. But they won't have a full squad because they're dealing with injuries. Here's just a little rundown of who's on the 10-day IL for the White Sox. Aaron Bummer hurt his biceps. Nick Madrigal separated his shoulder. Tim Anderson tweaked his groin. Carlos Rodon, again, hurt his arm. And Ronaldo Lopez hurt his shoulder. Edwin Encarnacion is day-to-day because he also tweaked his shoulder. So you don't have a full squad here. It's going to be interesting to see how the Sox come back from this. Because they were hyped at the beginning of the season, but they had a full roster. Now they're kind of depleted a little bit. And it'll be curious to see how they deal with these injuries and everything. Because that's a lot. Granted, Tim Anderson's working his way back. He's rehabbing right now. But even so, that's a lot to be dealing with. The other thing is Eloy Jimenez in left field. And he made a pretty big mistake this week when Christian Yelich hit a fly ball to him and he ended up in the net and Yelich hit inside the park home run. And I, everyone knows how much I love Christian Yelich because I'm a Cubs fan. I, no, I don't like Christian Yelich. But I respect his game. 
But he plays for another team, so I don't like it. But that's not important right now. But it brought up the debate once again about Aloy's defense. Because Aloy's defense is not great. We've known this. And it showed in that last game. And now people are questioning, okay, should he should he DH? Or should he keep playing left field and try to work it out? It's very similar to the Kyle Schwerber debate right now. Because the National League has the DH again, don't forget. Much to my dismay, but the NL has the DH this time. And the consensus was, okay, Kyle Schwarber, DH, boom. Well, David Ross is saying, no, I want him in left field. I want to see him. I want to see that improvement. And he'll get some time at DH, but I want to see him in the field, too. And I feel like that's kind of how Ricky Renteria is approaching this with Aloy. His defense isn't great. We knew that when he came up, when he was traded in that infamous trade for Jose Quintana that we talked so much about on the Sunday Sports Shootout when Daryl Horowitz was co-hosting the show with me. Talked about it a lot. And we knew his defense was his downside. But he's got a heck of a bat and a heck of an arm. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. You can DH him and take him out of the field. Granted, he's fast. But you keep the bat. Or you can put him in the field, have him a kind of a liability. He's not the worst defensive left fielder I've ever seen by far. Absolutely not the worst I've seen. But he's definitely not great. He, I'm not planning on him winning a gold glove for a little while. But watching that play against the Brewers, when he ended up in the net, and Christian Yelich ended up scoring on an inside-of-the-park home run, it wasn't great. But it's a little bit of an overreaction to just, okay, put him at DH now, put him at DH now. Yes, the season's short. We've talked all year about how the season's short. 60 games is not a lot of time. That's totally understandable. But there's not that much urgency to have a bad play and immediately put him at DH. He that's the that's probably the biggest mistake he's had out there since coming up, I think. And if I'm forgetting one, like shoot me a tweet and set me straight. But I I don't think he's bad in left field. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, but that's with anybody. And I mean, I'm a golfer and the mentality when you're golfing is, okay, I shot a I shot a 40 on nine holes this week for the first time since high school. And it should have been a 39 because I missed a birdie putt. Well, it could have been 38 because I ducked a shot and I'm all about like, okay, it could be better here, better here. Same thing with, that applies to any sport. But in this case for Aloy, okay, his defense isn't bad. It could be better by getting a better read on fly balls. That's but I mean, same thing can happen with Kyle Schwerber on the Cubs is he's not very good at reading fly balls. And that's, that's rich coming from me who missed his fair share of fly balls when I played in high school, but that's neither here nor there. But the big thing for Aloy is he's got to get better at reading that fly ball, taking the right path to the ball and getting set up to make a play because the Yelich inside the Parker, I would have given it an E7 because Aloy didn't exactly take the best path to it, and it wasn't really... He didn't have to dive for it. He didn't have to run halfway across the field to catch it. It was a kind... I, you could call it a routine play. I mean, it, was, it wasn't easy, but it wasn't difficult. I would have given it an E7. But it was inside the park home run for Yelich. And if you watch the replay, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty when you see Aloy end up in the net. 
but I, I don't think we need to overreact to the point, oh, he's got to be DH now. we got to put someone else in left field. Who are you going to put in left field? Who are you going to put out there? Larry Garcia? No, you can't because Nick Madrigal's on the on the IL. That's, I'm still calling it the disabled list. It's the injured list. Two years since they changed the name of it. I'm still calling it the DL. So you got to park Leary at second base. I don't know who you put in left field. So I think you're stuck with Aloy out there and just hope he gets better. And he will. I mean, he's not a bad player. He's a talented player. And talented players, when they're struggling, can find ways to get better. And I have no doubt that he's going to work his tail off and try to be the best left fielder in the game. But for now, you just got to deal with Aloy's defense. And we'll see how it does. Again, ESPN tonight, national TV. The White Sox are on ESPN. I, could not, I couldn't believe it when I saw the tweet that ESPN is actually noticing the White Sox. And this is coming from a Cubs fan. So I'm, I'm excited to watch that tonight because they're finally getting national recognition. And they're a talented team. They deserve it. And we'll see how they can, how they can do the rest of the way because they are currently 8-7. They're over 500. Two games back are the Minnesota Twins in the AL Central. Cubs, meanwhile, four games up on Cincinnati in the NL Central at 10-3. and three. Again, they would have had three games this weekend, but got, I believe, postponed is the, is the verbiage MLB used just to make sure they weren't just canceling games because I don't know if they have a full plan yet for how they're going to make up these games, if they're going to make up these games. But if the season finishes, this is going to be really interesting to see what baseball does with those with those games, are they going to go by winning percentage, or are they going to find a way to make them up with double headers? It's going to be a lot of games to make up in a short amount of time. But I'd be cool with the double header coming back. I love double headers. Someday double header, have a game at noon, have a game at seven, boom, or even six, boom. Imagine the viewership for that. Granted, I don't get the Marquee Network on YouTube TV, but I've ranted about that before. But I could watch White Sox double headers. But we'll see. Okay, I got 10 minutes left here. I kind of stalled a little bit because I did not want to go over my time as I talk about the one and only Chicago Bulls. You know, the Bulls haven't played a game since March. They aren't in the Orlando bubble. The Delete 8 quote-unquote bubble that was rumored to be in Chicago isn't happening. They're not playing any games. Yet they're still finding ways to make me angry. And you heard me talk about it in my interview with Ben. I finished my rewatch of The Last Dance. And it was just as good the second time. Believe me, it was great. Like, it was it was so good the second time. Because I'm sitting there going, oh my god, they, they had all there was all that success. There was so much excitement around Bulls basketball and so much respect for Phil Jackson. And in the middle of my rewatch, rewatch, easy for me to say. I see this article from Joe Cowley at the Sun-Times. This came out, this would have been Thursday. Financial concerns likely will keep Jim Boyle and his Bulls coach. And if you if you didn't listen to Dan Bernstein's rant on 670 The Score on Friday about this, because he waited a day to rant about it, highly suggested. He nails it. Because what this means is Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley 
the new executive vice president of basketball operations and GM of the Bulls. Now that Gar Pax is gone. They were brought in under the impression they had total authority over basketball operations decisions. That included the coach. I just want to make that clear. But now that this article came out and said, and I'm quoting now, According to several sources, there is growing thought that financial concerns the Reinstorfs have about the 2020-21 season will keep Jim Boylan and most of his staff on the Bulls bench. It seems the quote-unquote players' first motto, Karnas Chauvis and general manager Mark Eversley were touting several months ago, will be pushed aside by money. That would be a small slap to several Bulls players and a large slap to a vocal Bulls fan base. Playing strap for cash card with a franchise valued at $3.2 billion is a hard pill to swallow. Yeah, that's about right. Because Karnaschovas and Eversley are considered two of the best young minds in the game. That's why they were brought in. The Bulls were too old school with John Paxson and Gar Foreman. And there were a lot of issues there with Gar Foreman. More than, more than Pax, because I mean, John Paxson's a Bull. One of my favorite play-by-play calls of all time was from 1993 when John Paxson hit the three in the playoffs. It was Paxson for three. Yes! That right there cemented John Paxson as a bull for life, whether you like him or not. As a player, he was great. As an executive, eh. But he left his mark on the Bulls organization. That's why they kept him on as a senior advisor. But there were issues there with Gar and Pax. So now, Karnaschovas and Eversley come in. And they're bringing more modern flair to the Bulls' front office. And what I mean by that is exactly what Cowley said. It's players first. The NBA is now a players first league. That's why you have LeBron and Anthony Davis in L.A. That's why you had LeBron in the Big Three in Miami. That's why you've got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard in L.A. with the Clippers. It's because the players want to play with who they want. And it's, it is definitely a players league. And the Bulls were not thinking that the last couple of years. Tom Thibodeau was a popular coach. Whether he, I mean, he had his issues coaching. I mean, he was not entirely right when he left Derrick Rose in that game when he hurt his knee. He could have pulled him. He tends to push his players a little bit. That said, he's got a great opportunity in New York. I still say the bullshit brought him back, but neither here nor there. He was popular with the players. They respected the guy. But Gar didn't get along with him, so he was gone. And they bring in Fred Hoiberg, who's Gar's guy. And then they let Hoiberg go when they bring in, they promote Jim Boylan, who was also, I believe, actually I think he was John's guy. I think he was Paxson's guy. So you're picking up a trend here that the last two coaches the Bulls have had, Hoiberg and Boylan, were front office picks. They weren't players' picks. And the players' first mentality has not made it to the Bulls. And you figure that would happen now if they're going younger. Karnas Chobis is a brilliant young basketball mind. And Mark Eversley is also incredibly talented. These two can do big things for this organization if the handcuffs come off. Because it feels like, and I've heard this analogy a lot, I can't quite place where I heard it, but I, it sounds like the Bulls are handcuffing Karnaschovas to Boylan. And that's not good. Because the players, it's, this is from Joe Cowley. I've heard this. I've heard from, I think Casey Johnson's reported on a little bit too, but especially Zach Levine. Not a big Jim Boylan fan. 
he and Boylan went head-to-head when Boylan first came in. And even early this season, when Boylan benched Zach because of three quote-unquote egregious defensive mistakes, didn't say what those defensive mistakes were. And they've gone head-to-head, and Zach's supposed to be the best player on the roster, which whether that means you're a playoff team is another discussion. And you also look at Lowry Markkinen, who struggled under Boylan, because Boylan doesn't know how to use Lowry Markkinen. Throw in there that Kobe White was on the bench. Granted, I I wanted Kobe White on the bench, and I hated that I agreed with Boylan, but once he jumped in the lineup, he was doing just fine, so I backtracked. And it took him a long time to see that Kobe White was a star. And I think all that put together creates a lot of problems. And I've been very vocal in my criticism of Jim Boylan. He's the only coach in town I've ever said should go. I'm not usually one to call for coaches to be fired. But when you're going beginning of the season, we're going to make the playoffs. We're preparing like we're a playoff team. We're going to make the playoffs this year. And then you totally move the goalpost midseason and say we're still growing and developing. You don't know how to grow and develop. So now we're in this spot where the fan base is angry. And I know Jerry Reinsdorf has been quoted saying he's lost upward of nine figures due to the COVID-19 pandemic. I totally understand that. And it just sounds like the Bulls don't want to pay two coaches because there's going to be a buyout for Boylan. But there was a little bit of hope, a little bit of hope this week from Woj, who's back from suspension which it's great that Woj is back from suspension. He wrote on ESPN that Karnaschobis and Eversley are still making their decision. They're still, they're, they're playing the long game. And Casey Johnson's written about it too over at NBC Sports Chicago. They're playing the long game because they're the new guys in town. There's a pandemic going on. They don't want to come in and just immediately, okay, we're here, you're gone. And I know Darnell Mayberry at The Athletic has speculated that Say what you want about Jerry Reinsdorf. And there's a lot to say about Jerry Reinsdorf. But I put in a mailbag on The Athletic asking about, okay, what do you think about Boylan? Are they going to make a decision? Are they not going to? And he said he thinks it could be something on Jerry's part about getting rid of a coach during a pandemic. Because Jerry is all about relationships. And we've seen that on both the Sox and the Bulls. He's all about relationships. And he, he wants to make sure his people are taken care of. And firing a coach during a pandemic might not be the best path to go down in his eyes. And I, I can't disagree because this, these are hard times. And the Bulls aren't playing the game for a while. I'm... From what I've read, it looks like the summer might be when the NBA is looking to start back up. But I've also heard they might wait until they can get fans in the stands. So who knows when we're going to see a Bulls game again. So there's really no urgency here. But the report from Cowley did not help. And I know I read it and I had a few choice words. That I won't say on the air because, you know, FCC. But... We'll see what happens with the Bulls in this offseason. 
I think it's going to be a very interesting offseason. I've said that many times. And I'll be curious to see just how much authority Arturis Karnaschovas and Mark Eversley have with the Bulls. we got about 30 seconds left. And I've covered all my bases. So thank you again for putting up with the technical difficulties. Again, working remote, there's going to be some technical glitches. And, I mean, our team here at WAW has done a great job making sure we can do these shows remote and be safe and healthy. And remote shows are going to continue through fall semester, so I'm going to be working from home for the foreseeable future. And hopefully that won't happen again. I'm going to have backup plans in place for future interviews as well so I can just do what I did today. So thank you to Ben Pope for taking the time to come on the show and talk hockey. Again, Blackhawks, Golden Knights going to be a great series. I'm really excited. Playoff hockey is back in Chicago, and I'm looking forward to talking with you again next week. Stay tuned to my Twitter and Facebook for who my guest will be. I'll have that later in the week because I usually do my interviews on Saturday. So stay tuned for that. Stay safe. Stay healthy. Wear a mask. And I will see you guys next Sunday at 11 o'clock here on WOUW. Have a great week, everybody.